0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the NBM family. This is one of them. And so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. What's going on here is beyond normal. It's completely extraordinary in a very positive way. Business brings the world together. It may be quite brutal, it may be quite you know, simple, it may not be very intellectual or, or refined, but there's something about the entrepreneurship.
2: There are only two kinds of people. that The ones that are discouraged by failure and the ones that are encouraged by failure. And
1: that's what makes the difference.
2: It's Innovation in Europe by Project Kazimierz. Now another episode with your hosts, Richard Lucas and Samuel Cook.
0: Hello, Project Kazimierz listener. This is Sam Cook, your host, with my co-host, Richard Lucas. How are you doing, Richard?
1: Very well, thanks.
0: And we're back here sitting at the stage, which is a very interesting place in the history of the Krakow startup scene, uh, where um, Hive... Uh, 53, which is beginning in about an hour and a half, is about to start, and uh, sitting here with someone that uh, is pretty well known, in, not just in Krakow, but also becoming very well known in the United States startup scene in New York and Silicon Valley. So uh, I'd like to welcome Ella, and Richard, I'll let you give the more formal introduction since you always know more about our guests than I do, uh, because of your long history here.
1: Well, just very briefly, i will say that Ella's extremely well known as being the the face of the Krakow startup community when when Krakow wasn't so well known there was one person in the city who everyone wanted to have who would represent the city well because not only is she extremely good looking and highly intelligent but she's also ha- had a fabulous startup and which has evolved in in several different directions since she moved uh, moved west and rather than have me do the introduction I think Ella perhaps it'd be better if you 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 did the first uh, first introduction of yourself.
2: Um, hi, yeah, thanks for the two nice introductions. <laughs> I, will, I will do the third one. Uh, my name is Ela Madej. I'm an entrepreneur and an investor. Um, uh, started my first company in 2006 here in Krakow. I'm actually born and raised here, so I have warm feelings uh, towards the city. Uh, right now I live in the States, and um, I'm, but I'm always happy to be back here. I'm doing a few different things, and I've done a few different things. Uh kicked off the um, a start, talk of startup community that um, Sam mentioned. It's Hype 53. Uh, co-founded uh software house called Applicate, co-founded a CRM company called Base. That's right now doing pretty well. Um, I co-founded some failed startups, I'm, an, uh, I'm a COO at a, a social good startups in New York called Amicus, I'm a partner at a VC fund, I do angel investing. I have some plans for the next uh, uh, two years that I'm not disclosing yet, but uh, I, in my own uh, perspective, I'm just uh, accelerating, so that's okay. pretty okay. much it. Okay, well,
1: well, thanks for that introduction, and one of the things we're very interested in is helping uh, listeners from around the world get a sense of what what is like in the startup community is like, and as someone who is rather early early in the scene. can you talk uh, t- take us through your route into it because one of the things we want to do is to inspire people in different countries to think about doing something similar in their city. And so what was your route into entrepreneurship? How did you, were you did you always know you're going to be an entrepreneur or did it just happen to you randomly?
2: Um, I think I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I was the president of my class since I was six years old. And, so you
1: uh, so basically have a high achievement.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I think... I there mean, were no I did, term I
0: limits th- on that president? I
2: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there were. I mean, um, but uh, I was going to go into physics and then at some point I decided that I... Will probably want to run my own company. When I started um, my university, I uh, co-founded or got actually got involved in this organization called um, Collegium Congitantium, And my role was the section of promoting entrepreneurship. And I started doing it when I was 19 or 20. And I did workshops on how to start a business. So I think I pretty much always knew that it's going to be a thing. And then when my friends needed help in uh, starting their software company i um, I was there to help and then I found myself being a CEO of the company uh, because they didn't let me leave and yeah that's 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 the story about the cake. but then um it was using an opportunity so both of my parents are computer scientists my sister is a computer scientist all of my friends most of my friends were either physicists or computer scientists, so I was pretty much very much in that community, and although I would never expect that somebody would pay me for, 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 for working, um, and, uh, in that space, um, so that happened in 2006, and then we wanted to hire the best people, best Ruby developers, because that's what we were doing from the market, and we started getting involved uh, in the young Ruby on Rails community. And we started organizing non uh not not-for-profit events, and 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 then some bigger for-profit events, such as European Rails Conference and European Ruby Conference, and some big mobile events. Um, and they got they were quite well known. So. It all kind of escalated, uh, and I think pretty, pretty naturally. So, I, I, my advice would be just to get involved in something that interests you and can take it from there.
1: I, I remember we, we got together to do a project in your school, and you were in entrepreneurship, and you clearly felt, as I did, there was a need to promote entrepreneurship in school. Do you think that when you were growing up in, in Krakow, I guess in the 19. 19- 90s, maybe the 1980s, I'm not quite sure how old you are, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing like, well, do, do you think... 21? I, I, yeah, <laughs> that, that, 90s. That. <laughs> I say, I, I, yeah, I, I, I say I'm 25 plus minus 25 years, um, so, but when, when you were growing up, do you think that Polish education was doing enough to promote entrepreneurship, how do you think the school handled it, and um, And do you think the situation's improved now in terms of the status of entrepreneurs in, in Polish education or society? Like, how-
2: I so I don't know what's happening now because I am not I don't go to school anymore. Uh, but when I had entrepreneurship classes in Liceum, which is fifth high school, a very good high school in Poland,
1: that's the kind of the one with the top reputation for listeners that, and people who go there certainly let you know that they're going to an alien school. <laughs> yeah,
2: it wasn't it wasn't done by a practitioner, so that was alarming. The person who was teaching and she was she was a very nice person, but she was not an entrepreneur and she was teaching about us about taxes and essentially being adult, not not really about taking risks and, and assessing business ideas. And it was just all about uh, social security, the Polish version of social security and taxes and all that. So that wasn't very helpful. And um, no, I, I'm not sure if it's getting much uh, better, but I think there are many... Um, it, Organizations and nonprofits and and maybe for profits that are trying to fill the gap and there, are, there is a small startup scene in Poland um, that's uh, running events and promoting entrepreneurship and specifically uh, startup entrepreneurship. So hopefully we're 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 that's starting to change.
1: But your your actions, I mean, you, you set up the I think was it was it with Piotr Nijinski mm-hmm. you set up the the High Fifty Three thing. So you clearly felt. There was a, there was something that needed doing because I guess you wouldn't have done it just and it's quite a lot of work and it's quite fun. Yeah. To yeah, these yeah. But what what motivated you to do to do that kind of community building stuff? Because you also have the Ruby, uh-huh. didn't you have the Ruby Ruby on Rails conferences Rails Rails free wasn't it? So you you're obviously into events. Is it just because you enjoy them? You like meeting people, um, or is there some higher purpose? Or th- there no was purpose? there were
2: two things happening. So first one uh, was just who came back from Denmark, and he really wanted to kick up a startup community. And I think mo- mo- I should definitely, like, he was just looking for a person to help him. So it was, I, I think the idea was on, on his side. And at that time, we were already organizing startup-type of talks at Applicate because when you're running a software development house for uh, startups... They are your clients that come over very often. We worked with international clients. We would, whenever we had somebody over, we would invite 20, 30 people to our office and just have an open type of conversation because we wanted to kind of share access to that person because, you know, like whoever comes from the West, they could share the experiences they had. And that was very needed. And he, I think he participated in one of those talks and he said, hey, why don't we do something bigger? Like clearly your office is not big enough. So that's, that's kind that's how it started so,
1: yeah, there's a lesson to learn there. I think that quite often people have like business partners who are coming in. I, I remember it being quite nice for your business partners, and they people quite like the attention. And like maybe in, the, in their day to day life, they're not necessarily regarded as a like a star guest. But if you guys yeah. like if anyone listening anywhere has got someone coming in from another town, and you can like organize even a small meetup where they just give a talk or explain what they do, everyone's interesting to someone, right? And it's like,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, and for us, I mean, m- maybe that's not, maybe. We kind of got overexcited about those uh, people. But to be fair, still, I think sales and marketing skills are missing. And think of like 80 years ago that some of the skills were literally non-existent. And because nobody had that type of experience, there were some Polish tech companies that were doing well. But I don't think there were... uh, Polish companies with global uh, aspirations even I mean there might must have been some right but 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 that, not that they were very visible and I I you know it's it was just nice and then um, it's it's even if those people were not high profile celebrities they had a different perspective and I guess Americans or Westerners had longer longer their uh, experience with capitalism was a bit longer than mm-hmm. the polish. And the Polish exposure to it, so. Well, Ella, one it's of so
0: cool. one of the things I'm finding really interesting, just observing from an outsider, I've I've got um, a very fresh perspective being here for any six months. Is um, entrepreneurship? Yet yeah, it, it's not really taught in school. But to be honest, I don't remember it being taught in school in America either. But there might be something more. Inherent about the way all subjects are taught where in in the United States uh, if you compare the extremes I think you have China where memorization is everything and in in the United States. It's it's much more freewheeling Many Europeans and, and Asians would think we're pretty lazy with our lax school schedule, but kids do a lot of extracurricular activities and other things aside from school. And, and I think they go. And you sell cookies more. and yeah, we, lemonade. We go, <laughs> yeah, like we have bake sales and Girl Scout cookies and things like early on in, in life where I remember when I was in, in band, we, we would have to raise money for our band trip, like going to sell to yeah, our neighbors. Yeah, and it, yeah. was, it was just I look back on it now, and I wasn't entirely comfortable doing it, but it was—it mm-hmm. was a really interesting,
2: uh, yeah, just yeah,
0: you know, social economic um, environment. So com- I know you've been in the United States for a while now. Compare um, how societies nurture entrepreneurship, and how you think Poland might be changing.
2: Um, so obviously, there was no history of entrepreneurship during the communist times, uh, uh but then in the early 90s, everybody started, you know, everybody like felt that they could start a business and do something because finally they had access to the tools and that was okay. But, you know, this is still very young. Um, um, so culturally, we're. I think we are very clever and very entrepreneurial in a, in a way of, you know, like working with limited resources, which is a very important school for, school for entrepreneurs. But the the skill of thinking big maybe is not necessarily there or maybe we're just learning about it so and um, yeah like the, the, it's not we we never at school when I was going to school that m- might be changing uh, obviously it was a lot of it was about memorization I, I was lucky enough to go to, to to good to pretty good schools when like critical problem solving was uh, was important but yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily think entrepreneurship was a big focus in, in school. Um... But just
0: the overall DNA of the society, it it seems to be. Because one of the things I am impressed. What's going on here
1: is beyond normal. It's completely extraordinary in a very positive way. Business brings the world together. It may be quite brutal. It may be quite. It's you know, simple, it may not be very intellectual or, or refined, but there's something about the entrepreneurship.
2: There are only two kinds of people, that the ones that are discouraged
1: by failure and the ones that are encouraged by failure. And that what makes the difference.
2: It's Innovation in Europe by Project Kazimierz. Now, another episode with your hosts, Richard Lucas and Samuel
0: Cook. Hello, Project Casual Manager listener. This is Sam Cook, your host, with my co-host, Richard Lucas. How are you doing, Richard?
1: Very well, thanks.
0: And we're back here sitting at the stage, which is a very interesting place in the history of the Krakow startup scene, uh, where um, Hive uh, 53, which is beginning in about an hour and a half, is about to start. And uh, sitting here with someone that... Uh, is pretty well-known, not just in Krakow, but also becoming very well-known in the United States startup scene in New York and Silicon Valley. So uh, I'd like to welcome Ella. And Richard, I'll let you give the more formal introduction, since you always know more about our guests than I do, uh, because of your long history here.
1: Well, just very briefly, i will say that Ella is extremely well-known as being the, the face of the Krakow startup community when when Krakow wasn't so well known, there was one person in the city who everyone wanted to have who would represent the city well, because not only is she extremely good looking and highly intelligent, but she's also had a fabulous start-up, and which has evolved in, in several different directions since she moved uh, moved west. And rather than have me do the introduction, I think, Ella, perhaps it would be better if you, you, you did the first uh, first introduction of yourself.
2: Um, hi, yeah, thanks for the two nice introductions. <laughs> I, will, I will do the third one. Uh, my name is Ela made I'm an entrepreneur and an investor. Um, uh, started my first company in 2006 here in Krakow. I'm actually born and raised here, so I have warm feelings uh, towards the city. Uh, right now I live in the States, and um, um, but I'm always happy to be back here. I'm doing a few different things, and I've done a few different things. Uh kicked off the um, start Krakow startup community that um, Sam mentioned, Type 53, uh, co-founded a software house called Applicate, co-founded a CRM company called Base that's right now doing pretty well, um, co-founded some failed startups, I'm, an, uh, I'm a CEO at a, a social good startups in New York called Amicus, Um, a partner at a VC fund, I do angel investing. I have some plans for the next uh, uh, two years that I'm not Disclosing yet, but uh, I, in my own uh, perspective, I'm just uh, accelerating. So that's okay. pretty okay. much it. Okay.
1: Well, <laughs> well, thanks for that introduction. And w- One of the things we're very interested in is helping uh, listeners from around the world get a sense of what what Krakow is like and the startup community is like. And as someone who is rather early, early in the scene, can you talk uh, take take us through your route into it? Because one of the things we want to do is to inspire people in different countries to think about doing something similar in their city. And so what was your route into entrepreneurship? How did you, were you did you always know you're going to be an entrepreneur or did it just happen to you randomly?
2: Um, I think I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I was the president of my class since I was six years old. And, so
1: basically, there's a high uh, achievement.
2: No, I mean, I think... I <laughs> mean, there were no I did, term I limits
0: th- on that president? I don't
2: know. <laughs> I don't think there were. I mean, um, but uh, I was going to go into physics and then at some point I decided that I... Will probably want to run my own company. When I started uh, my university, I uh, co-founded or actually got involved in this organization called um, Collegium Congitantium. And my role was the section of promoting entrepreneurship. And I started doing it when I was 19 or 20. And I did workshops on how to start a business. So I think I pretty much always knew that it's going to be, I think. And then when my friends needed help in uh, starting their software company, I um, I was there to help and then I found myself being a CEO of the company uh, because they didn't let me leave and yeah that's that's, that's the story about the cake but then um, it was using an opportunity so both of my parents are computer scientists. my sister is a computer scientist all of my friends most of my friends were either physicists or computer scientists, so I was pretty much very much in that community. And although I would never expect that somebody would pay me for, 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 for working um, and, uh, in that space. Um, so that happened in 2006. And then we wanted to hire the best people, best Ruby developers, because that's what we were doing from the market. And we started getting involved uh, in the young Ruby on Rails community. And we started organizing non uh not not-for-profit events, and 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 then some bigger for-profit events, such as European Rails Conference and European Ruby Conference, and some big mobile events. Um, and they got they were quite well known. So. It all kind of escalated, uh, and I think pretty pretty naturally. So, I, I, my advice would be just to get involved in something that interests you and we can take it from there.
1: I, I remember we, we got together to do a project in your school, and you were in entrepreneurship, and you clearly felt, as I did, there was a need to promote entrepreneurship in school. Do you think that when you were growing up in, in Krakow, I guess in the 19. 19- 90s, maybe the nineteen eighties I'm not quite sure how old you are, but mm-hmm. i'm 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 guessing like well do do you think twenty one yeah i i say i'm twenty five plus minus twenty five years um, so it, but when when you were growing up, do you think the Polish education was doing enough to promote entrepreneurship? how do you think the school handled it and um and do you think the situation's improved now in terms of the status of entrepreneurs in in polish education or society like
2: I'm, so I don't know what's happening now because I, I'm not, I don't go to school anymore. Uh, but when I had entrepreneurship classes in Pionter Liceum, which is the fifth high school, a very good high school in Poland. That,
1: that's the kind of, the one with the top reputation for listeners that, and people who go there certainly let you know that they're going to an alien school. <laughs> yeah,
2: it wasn't, it wasn't done by a practitioner. So that was alarming because the person who was teaching and she was, she was a very nice person, but she was not an entrepreneur and she was teaching about us about taxes and essentially being adult, not not really about taking risks and, and assessing business ideas. And it was just all about uh, Social Security, the Polish version of Social Security and taxes and all that. So that wasn't very helpful. And um, no, I, I'm not sure if it's getting much uh, better, but I think there are many um, it, Organizations and nonprofits, and and maybe for profits that are trying to fill the gap, and there, are, there is a small startup scene in Poland um, that's uh, running events and promoting entrepreneurship and specifically uh, startup entrepreneurship. So hopefully, we're 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 that's starting to change.
1: But your your actions, I mean, you, you set up the I think was was it with Piotr Nijinski mm-hmm. You set up the the High Fifty Three thing. So you clearly felt. There was a, there was something that needed doing because I guess you wouldn't have done it just and it's quite a lot of work and it's quite fun. Yeah. To yeah, yeah. So what what motivated you to do to do that kind of community building stuff? Because you also have the Ruby, uh-huh. didn't you have the Ruby Ruby on Rails conferences Rails Rails Free wasn't it? So you you're obviously into events. Is it just because you enjoy them? You like meeting people, um, or is there some higher purpose? Or th- there was there purpose?
2: were two things happening. So first one uh, was just. Piotr, who came back from Denmark, and he really wanted to kick off a startup community. And I think I should definitely, like, he was just looking for a person to help him. So I I think the idea was on on his side. And at that time, we were already organizing startup type of talks at Applicate Because when you're running a software development house for uh, startups they are your clients that come over very often. We worked with international clients. We would, whenever we had somebody over, we would invite 20, 30 people to our office and just have an open type of conversation because we wanted to kind of share access to that person because, you know, like whoever comes from the West, they could share the experiences they had. And that was very needed. And he, I think he participated in one of those talks and he said, hey, why don't we do something bigger? Like clearly your office is not big enough. So that's that's kind of, That's how it started so, yeah, there's a lesson to
1: learn there. I think that quite often people have like business partners who are coming in. I, I remember it being quite nice for your business partners, and they people quite like the attention. And like maybe in, the, in their day to day life, they're not necessarily regarded as a, like, a star guest. But if you guys yeah. like if anyone listening anywhere has got someone coming in from another town, and you can like organize even a small meetup where they just give a talk or explain what they do, everyone's interesting to someone, right? And it's like, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, and for us, I mean, m- maybe that's not, maybe. We kind of got overexcited about those uh, people. But to be fair, still, I think sales and marketing skills are missing. And think of like 80 years ago, some of the skills were literally non-existent. And because nobody had that type of experience, there were some Polish tech companies that were doing well. But I don't think there were... uh, Polish companies with global uh, aspirations, even I mean, there might must have been some, right? But 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 that, not that they were very visible. And I I you know it's it was just nice. And then um, it's it's even if those people were not high-profile celebrities, they had a different perspective. And I guess Americans or Westerners had longer longer their uh, experience with capitalism was a bit longer than mm-hmm. the Polish and uh, the, the Polish exposure to it. So, well, Ella, one, so of the,
0: cool. one of the things I'm finding really interesting just observing from an outsider, I've I've got um, a very fresh perspective being here for any six months is um, entrepreneurship. Yeah, it it's not really taught in school. But to be honest, I don't remember it being taught in school in America either. But there might be something more. Inherent about the way all subjects are taught where in in the United States uh, if you compare the extremes I think you have China where memorization is everything and in in the United States. It's it's much more freewheeling many Europeans and, and Asians would think we're pretty lazy with our lax school schedule, but kids do a lot of extracurricular activities and other things aside from school. And, and I think they go. And you sell cookies home. and yeah, we, lemonade. We yeah, like we have bake sales and Girl Scout cookies and things like early on in, in life where I remember when I was in, in band, we, we would have to raise money for our band trip, like going to sell yeah, our neighbors. Yeah. And it, was, it was just I look back on it now and I wasn't entirely comfortable doing it but it was mm-hmm. it was a really interesting uh,
2: Yeah, just yeah.
0: You know, socio-economic um environment. So com- I know you've been in the United States for a while now. Compare um how societies nurture entrepreneurship and how you think Poland might be changing.
2: Um so obviously there was no history of entrepreneurship during in the communist times and uh, uh but then in the early '90s, everybody started, you know, everybody like felt that they could start a business and do something because finally they had access to the tools and that was okay. But you know, this is still very young. Um, um, so culturally, we're I think we are very clever and very entrepreneurial in a, in a way of you know like working with limited resources, which is a very important skill school for, school for entrepreneurs. But the the skill of thinking big maybe is not necessarily there or maybe we're just learning about it. So, and um, yeah, like the, the, it's not, we, we never at school when I was going to school, that m- might be changing. Uh, obviously it was, a lot of it was about memorization. I, I was lucky enough to go to, to, to good, to pretty good schools when like, critical problem solving was, um, was important, but, yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily think entrepreneurship was a big focus in in school. Um, but just
0: the overall DNA of the society, it, it seems to be. Because one of the things I am impressed about here is, is there's this almost like, and, and you you were there, and I think we've all been there. When you start your first business, you think you can do anything, and you're a bit naive. And there's this general, I think, good naivety in the in the entrepreneur entrepreneurial community now in Krakow, where people just are not afraid and they're getting their hands dirty. Whereas you go to a city like New York city where everyone's pretty jaded and, and you have a good idea and someone's gonna say, let me pull you aside and tell you how the world of business, the startup mm-hmm, works. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a, we're in an interesting period in the development.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think just living in New York, I realize how much, um how much bigger the risk is to start a business in new york and maybe what's the the alternative cost is way bigger so everything is going to be way more expensive i think the i don't want to focus too much on that but um even accounting and bookkeeping and payroll reporting all those things are done separately and and i think just interacting with many professional services, uh, companies is extremely expensive. So I think you really need a decent amount of start, uh, startup capital to start a business in New York. And I think Polish people who are really, um, uh, they are, they do extremely well with very limited resources and they, we can take advantage of the really low costs here, um, I think really at the idea stage, uh, you know, for the first year, you don't really have to, if you have a little bit of savings, if you're living in Krakow, you don't really have to worry about money, especially if you have like co-founders, so we don't have to hire people, which I'm not sure is the case in in cities like New York where um, it's pretty expensive. And I really think that um, I always thought one realization that I had is that um, running like working with um, Polish companies might be a bit risky because uh, people might try to take advantage of you. But I think business in the States is pretty ruthless. It's like (laughs) if you think of like real estate market in New York and I had some really bad experiences there, or if you think of different professional services companies where like you just see the bill and you just don't believe and it's just you, There's a lot of back and forth and arguing and, yeah, and I, they and I, think, I think
1: there's a point Sam raised about the impact of communism that when I came to Poland I was really struck by there's this idea of the lean startup making making something out with very limited resources and learning how to get things done with limited resources is extremely useful and You know the, the communism had the effect of like nothing really worked so people had to learn how to get by which is a kind of like, what have I got that other people need? What do I need? How can I get it in a system that didn't work? There was a kind of entrepreneurship, which was like, I think gave Polish people an edge in some ways, and not just Polish, but Poles, almost uniquely for the former Soviet bloc, could get the right to travel relatively easily mm-hmm. compared to, say, East Germans or, or, or Soviets, you know, the Poles could travel around. And so there was that kind of edge, but of course, it doesn't, it doesn't scale so well because there is a moment where it stops me about doing everything as cheaply as possible and like what's the best you know what's the value for money and it can be the case if you if you spend ten thousand dollars and get it done really well rather right. than you know spend six months doing it doing it yourself not so well and at the end of the uh, these days that lack of money is is less of a problem and, yeah. and so, so I think that communi- communism and that, that period did give Holland an edge and it's interesting now with the kids growing up in a completely different society, sometimes the children seem less. People say they're a different generation, but sometimes the, the young kids are almost a bit spoiled. They're not used to the kind of uh, the adversity that created the, the tough entrepreneurs of maybe our generation. I us say our generation, I think that's uh, not exactly the same generation as us, right?
2: Um, yeah, I can say about the kids, but uh, there's <laughs> one of the kids. There's definitely actually. more access to to money right now, which makes it easier. And I think you know, it's especially if you want to go global, you will need that money at some point. There's only as far.
0: One of the things I like, Richard, about just and I've traveled around Eastern Europe a bit is and and, and de- I think definitely out of all the former East Eastern European Soviet bloc countries, Poland has the strongest entrepreneurship culture, and there's a lot of deep historical roots to. Uh, You know, I was just talking to my old finance professor I want to interview later. And he said that, you know, the period from 1919 to 1939, when Poland was born, the modern state of Poland before uh, World War II, was an incredible period of Polish economic flourishing. And so there was some Mm -hmm. there was some memory and like that pent up uh, energy that the Poles um, had in the in the interwar years. You have the influence of three different distinct empires, the Soviet, or sorry, the Russian Empire, the Austrian Empire, and the German Empire. And then, uh, you know, just a long history in Poland of uh, freedom. I mean, I don't think most Americans are are aware that they weren't the first free, freely elected constitution. Um, Constitutional state was actually Poland, actually Switzerland very, very early in Poland was the first major kingdom to have significant um, rights among the nobles, at least to vote, which was much better than England had for the longest time, and, and the United States at the beginning of our founding had very limited. We're, we're not
1: going to compete about <laughs> British. <Yeah. parties>. <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: but but they had that tradition, which I don't think any other government had in that period. And and there's a there seems to be that sense of um, definitely pulling out of that as as the strongest country to pull out of, of communism economically. So there's there's a lot of that. Uh, going on here, that I think, working out well.
2: Um, yeah, it's also a big country. Uh, country with and some some reforms in the early nineties were were actually done well, and we have a lot of human capital. And uh, we got lucky in in some ways, but uh, the economy is doing really well. We're um, there are many multinationals here, and uh, we we've been. I think maybe not everybody knows that. In in the last years, when uh, recession hit. Uh, um Europe we were the only company the only company the only uh, country um with positive uh uh gdp growth so and yeah, it's it the was
1: interesting poland wasn't in wasn't isn't in the euro in the euro actually mm. when, when the economic crisis hit uh, the polish zloty our local currency went down by like 20 25% which gave like made poland effectively all the other eurozone countries they were locked in for this exchange rate yeah. with, with the rich countries, so that that was an example where exchange rate flexibility really really helped and as as Ella said we 've got a, a lot of international companies, and they partly came here to start with because Poland had the biggest market with almost forty million people, which may not sound a lot to an American or a, or a Vietnamese or a Chinese listener, but here in Europe you know there's only there's the four big ones of France Italy, Germany, and the u k and then there 's Spain and Spain and Poland as the next ones, and mm-hmm. you know, the, the so I I feel like the the domestic market is in some ways quite one of the reasons the foreigners the foreigners came here. But it but th- like thinking thinking a bit forward and from the current situation, if you if you're like advising people what to do, you mm-hmm. know, you know, maybe ten years ago or fifteen years ago, you were thinking about choices about you know, do you stay in Poland, do you go west, do you do a startup, do you work in a corporation. What what sort of advice do you give someone who's like. You know, say maybe a younger person, whether they're Polish or indeed anywhere else in the world. What are the what are the best first steps for someone to take as they start leaving education and start thinking about how to how to earn money and make a living and do something with their life?
2: Um, I mean, it's, it's a hard question. I would. I, I'm not.
1: I'm not asking. I, would, easy I would, um,
2: um
1: <laughs> Sam went to the army. I don't. I don't
2: often actually get get. Uh, get an opportunity to give advice to the teenagers when they're still deciding what to do for mm-hmm. their life. I think for most people, I would just say it, uh, just follow whatever is interesting to you. And if, because if you like it, you're probably going to get good at it. But in terms of, um, I think everybody should try um, or at least consider entrepreneurship as, 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 as you know, your career path. It's a, it's a great adventure and starting a small business is actually relatively easy. And so like having experience with, with just like running your own small consulting company with, if you have any skill, you know, it's already will give you a business experience and, and some exposure to what it is like to, to run a company. And if you enjoyed the responsibilities there, if uh, I, um I think it it very much depends. I mean, I would, I would definitely think like doing, um, being able to fully shape uh, your career is amazing. Uh, it might be harder, so you probably need to have some idea of like where where you want to get where you want to go. When I started Hive, actually, I I I think I'm, i I I met a full circle c- circle here because when I started Hive, it was all about startups and and the hype of uh, and the hype of startups and um and right now i think it's you know not everybody should should start a startup and uh, and also not everybody should seek financing and not everybody should run a million dollar company and neither should they attempt to do that because there's some there's a certain uh probability and expected value there and you should probably figure out what you want to do in life and then decide what path to achieving it uh, will be best. It might be not a nonprofit. it might be a a small bootstrap company, it might be a a rocket ship type of startup, but what I really think is the most important for me, and I know it's more uh, trying to impose my values onto the rest of the world rather than giving a neutral uh, advice, but I wish people did more meaningful things. I think many people are doing things that, because they see a market need and they want to fill it and they see an opportunity to make money. And I think that's great. I would, um, I wish, I think we're kind of ready. The the ecosystem is ready for some group of entrepreneurs to define themselves as social entrepreneurs and try to do things with double bottom line where they actually make money, but also make something that's, um, that has um, some good impact on people, on the local environment, on the rest of the world and beyond just profit. But
1: yeah, I think you've raised some really, really interesting points there, because I, I, I certainly, when I'm advocating entrepreneurship, one thing is I say that's, that's not for everyone, you know, it's like <laughs> you've got three, three uh, current or former CEOs sitting around the table here, and we all have the stress, you know, it's not always easy, you have to take the tough decisions. But it's certainly this idea you have more control of your life is is important. The second thing is like I think the great thing is that you can make your own definition of success. It's like you know if you're if you're in the corporation, if you're in you know some hierarchy defined by someone else, then you know somehow that hierarchy has its own like a senior vice president is more important than a than yeah. a middle manager, right? Yeah. In 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 a, a big company like Shell, which is not to disrespect the big companies. I think that the big companies do. Uh, they're very necessary and they, they, they do their job better or worse, just like small companies. But the other thing is like this business, I call myself a business and social entrepreneur that, you know, whether it's organizing something like the Hive meetups, which are promoting entrepreneurship mm-hmm. or a couch surfing meeting or a TEDx, you know, there's just a sense that. If you're starting, if you're doing something that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you, mm-hmm. that gives your life meaning. And obviously, you know, if your if your 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 activity is helping, I don't know, uh, helping cocaine smugglers not be detected at airports, then <laughs> yeah. that, that then you're yeah. you're making a difference. But it's not necessarily a positive difference. But but I I think that feeling that the world would be different if it wasn't for you is something that that matches very well with having a sense of meaning. Yeah. But of course, you know, having a uh, a, a tool which optimizes web searches for for Amazon merchants.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. you know,
1: that, that's useful, mm-hmm. but it's it's uh, it's not necessarily a social mission. Yeah.
2: So I think there, like, I don't. I I think there are many things you can be doing to, um, to, to actually do something meaningful because in 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 many company and many product ideas that don't. Um, Many product ideas don't seem great, but in fact, they, you know, you can always claim that they feel some group of people better about their work, that they're solving some important problem, they're uh, solving some efficiency problem. And, and I think that's fine. I think that's step one. As long as you're not making uh, the world a shittier place, that's already fine. If I could. Like, sure. If I could advocate something, I would. I would ask people to do something that's actually <laughs> yeah.
1: the good. For me, We have an important message for our the, listeners. The Don't the hypocr- make them on The, <laughs> ship the, the yeah. hippocraticos
0: for entrepreneurs: first of all, do no harm, right? You yeah, know, the world. That's great.
1: But I, I think, on the other hand, you have to take risk. And you know, as someone who started businesses that have failed completely, as well as businesses that uh, are doing okay, you know, I, I, I think it's a double. Just like we we're saying that, you know, the problems of communism created some kind of entrepreneurship there's a double-edged coin that if you want to do anything that's worth doing there's mm-hmm. going to be a risk of failure and if someone said no you failed you're you're and if you if you fail you know people say it's if you fail fast fail often but having been through it when you fail you don't pay your taxes you don't pay the bank you don't pay your staff you don't pay your suppliers there are a lot of people yeah. who are very angry and they blame <laughs> yeah. you personally. it's terrible uh, I, it's terrible I, 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 yeah. I, I, and you feel you know you feel like shit and yeah, yeah, it, yeah. like and you know so at one level I think you, you need to have that awareness. But if you if you set out to do high interest credits to poor people, you know, that, that is a business model which is highly profitable. But I don't think it's necessarily a, a respectable yeah. respectable so, business, even if you do it very efficiently yeah. and well.
2: Yeah, know? exactly. So like and going back to the, the failing part and going back to the darker sides of entrepreneurship, my, me and, and, and Seth, my my partner, we recently we recently spoke at this conference, youth and leadership, like three days ago this Saturday. And there was a room full of 300 like, overachievers, between teenagers and maybe early 30s. People like you. People like me, yeah. <laughs> and and the, the, there was a lot of, they were they were trying to learn some leadership skills, whether they would be used in a bigger corporate setting for starting their own businesses, running an NGO, doing whatever, essentially whatever. Um um wherever they wanted to take it but we actually talked about like the stress and the darker sides of entrepreneurship and um uh, it's it's going to be very stressful at times and i think it it really m- maybe doing something that's meaningful or that like can can push you through the harder times that might might actually make it worthwhile because if you're going to fail a company uh which is always likely and for startups it's very likely Mm -hmm. just looking at the numbers um and you're going to fail and you're going to have to go through the emotional uh consequences of letting people down of like having to drag yourself up again and start uh, um i don't know It's, it's 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 you might as well try doing something that's actually important. Um, mm-hmm. And I know it sounds cliche, but we just have one life and we, we really have limited time and there's always an opportunity cost and whatever we're making millions doing X, we're not.
1: Yeah, I, I sometimes think that, you know, yeah. I, mean, I have the attitude that like some of my businesses, you know, they're doing, they're basically like technical services for corporations and, by the way, if you're wondering about the background noise here, earlier we heard the church bell, we're sitting in a very nice courtyard under a large Carlsberg umbrella and and the rain is beginning to fall, so this may, this may influence the audio quality a bit, I don't know.
2: You can also imagine that there's a wedding nearby and the uh, the bride and the, the groom, they're just being thrown rice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <at>
1: <laughs> Whatever you want it to be, it will be. <laughs> yeah, so we can imagine that Sam wasn't in Iraq, he was in <laughs> Vietnam and this is a, a <laughs> run soon. Um, oh, uh, no.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: but, um, yeah, but I, I, I do think that the, um, you know, one of the issues I get is that you know, sometimes you can make the money in one business and use it for, you know, social projects in another and I, 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 I you know, for me, obviously if someone's doing something really bad, you know, like slavery or <laughs> toxic toxic waste disposal in pristine oceans, then there's no excuse whatsoever. But I, I think there is, the, you know, sometimes there's a right time. It's much easier to be the, the generous social entrepreneur when you've made your money already and and you've covered covered your bases so you know I, i think that this you know personally you know i feel like on the one i've got like different tracks if i spend something on myself i think i have another budget for spending on other people, but it's it's much easier for someone who's recently comfortable like me to say that yes, than yeah, some yeah, guy yes. who's, who's struggling to pay his kids' education or whatever. You
0: know? Well, look, and and social good is a very I think that's a broadly defined term. You know, if, if you're if you're doing an honest job fixing people's cars, that's that's a social good. You don't rip people off, and, and you're providing an, a key service to help them get to the work. If you know Google has solved a lot of, Canadian. Google solved a lot of problems for a lot of people online, and so has Apple with the iPhones Why and the...
1: we are having a, a this is expression, taking a rain check. Do you know where the expression taking a rain check comes from? <laughs> uh, apparently, I actually do not know. I, 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 I learned that from Pavel Novak, who we interviewed. Is said, well, I'm gonna take a rain check, meaning he's not gonna come, and this is where you give your, a refund for the ticket buyers at an event. A rain check is when you get a check back for your ticket because it rained at your event. Really? Wow. So, you know, Project Cashmere is just the source of trivia facts as well as, <laughs> as, well as entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Well, well,
0: I think one of the things, you know, Google... For all of its, um, you know, uh, original. I think their original motto was "Don't be evil," or I don't know whatever it was. And obviously, as a as a company gets bigger, jealousy gets bigger, and people are going to accuse that company of not um, being. Uh, I'm fine, not being um, doing, you know, living up their motto. But you think about the things that big big companies have solved: Google and Apple. I mean, the iPhone is having a revolutionary impact on Africa right now and people's ability to make a living and, you know, more efficient healthcare. care. So you don't need to go out and and find something that that the headline is great. If you're making people's lives better and providing value, then, you know, I think, you you know, all of us would agree maybe there's some other. Companies that push unhealthy food that is not good for the the world, and also,
1: also like, it depends what you want to be proud of. Maybe you've got a company doing something really quite ordinary, like you know distributing paper, but you have a great culture, you treat people really well, you know, you, you you you're like an active member of your community. There's more than there's more than one way. But and, 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 and Applicate was quite famous for its culture in in Krakow. Could you describe Applicate was the company that I co-founded, out of which base, which is this. Uh, in fact, world-class CRM, mobile CRM company now. That's certainly one of the highest-profile Krakow. Uh, it's beyond the startup now, but success success stories. Um, what was the culture at base, and did that just like happen, or did you sit down and you you think you want to have a great culture in your company?
2: So, Applegate, okay. yeah, just just to add to what you what you were saying before, like just looking at my track record, I was doing pretty normal companies. We're not changing the world. I think it's also. This was just my advice to give to someone who's who's uh, who, who's starting now and actually knows that this is an option. So to answer your question about Applique, um, um the culture was, I think, pretty amazing, um, and um, I think it was nothing designed. We knew nothing about running a company. I think it's the uh, it's the reality of running your first company. You just start something, and, and then you then you uh, and then you learn. Uh, how to do things. Um we were but
1: you started it with friends, right? You started with people who were on the same way. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So we were a bunch of friends who really enjoyed working together, who enjoyed um, what we were doing. We we had access to the global market. We we wanted to create something special and I think when we realized that we're doing something uh special for the circumstances of you know, 2006 and 2007 in, in Kraków. Uh, we wanted to share it and I think that it was it was a very open culture and we started, as soon as we started growing, we started hiring friends because that's what we knew. Um, and it, it just created this um, um, pretty great culture of, of openness, of transparency, uh, of Really good internal dynamics and communication, and and uh, like just looking back, I think we we did many things right. We probably, you know, there were alternative universes where we could have scaled the company even more, and maybe you, we could. Some of the early projects we, we worked on, maybe we could have been successful faster, or like have had an even bigger impact. You might always, you might, you might always argue that that could have been the case, but I think. Um, most of the things, and I think we genuinely just enjoyed what we were doing, and, and it never felt like work for six years. And I never thought of my coworkers as coworkers. That's just the word I use because I always thought I'm working on a group of friends. I don't think I had a single day day when I didn't feel inspired to go to the office. Which just understanding the struggles of of like entrepreneurship, I think was pretty remarkable. How much good positive psychic energy there was.
1: Yeah, I, I remember when my, my brother Edward Lucas, who uh, we interviewed earlier earlier, who's uh, the international editor of the Economist, came. He was speaking at a TEDx Krakow, and we had a, a pre meeting in the applicate office. And he walked in and said, "Wow, this is like Estonia, and you know this, and Estonia has got this amazing reputation of being the most modern, advanced ex communist country." of all and you know I, I remember being really proud that you know a Krakow company is because like he's subjective he's not like yeah, yeah, saying yeah, it yeah. to be nice he said, this reminds me of their stone and i think the furniture was like color coordinated with the logo like, the, yeah, were, like yeah, little yeah, yeah. things um, which aren't that hard to do if someone cares you know it's not that it hard. was
2: also uh, a very um so two out of four co-founders were women or female and we had a pretty good ratio of of women programmers I, i'm not sure if it changes everything it definitely makes
0: the the style a lot better <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: we had, but we also did many things that were just plain stupid and I'm, I'm slightly <laughs> embarrassed when I look back at some of the things we did I mean I'm proudly embarrassed but just I would probably not I mean hopefully I do it one day and I really want to say it I really want to believe that I do it but we did this Ruby lipped up where like all of us dressed like i was dancing on a table agata my co-founder was was like skiing skiing on a on a table
1: yeah we will we we, we do show notes with these so we'll post links (laughs) about this this was like a kind of but it was a brilliant branding and marketing tool because you have to remember that back then poland had this very conservative old-fashioned image of the country uh, and like the applicant people were, it, and Ella, was, Ella is and was good-looking but a lot of the other people are young, dynamic, well-dressed and so there's this sort of complete clash with what people yeah. expect a Polish software yeah. company is going to be like men with moustaches A, a lot of that, you know,
2: but a lot of that we did we, was very uh, uh, consciously uh, created because we realized at some point after our first contracting client, uh, kind, uh, co- uh, our yeah. After our first contract, essentially, we we could not find more work, and we had to go to US. We worked at bars uh, during the day, or in, like coded at night, or actually the other way around. And we, we <laughs> saved uh, enough money to to reinvest into the company, which the entire time was actually bootstrapped. But then we realized people think of us as, you know, there's this like this de- software development house in Poland in 2006-2007, it was, it was not a category. People didn't want to pay us what we thought our work was worth and we decided, okay, so from now on we're going to overshare, we're going to show everybody, uh, we're going to limit the psychological risk associated with uh, with paying for a complicated service where the outcome is hard to document. And uh, those people are often starting their first company or like investing a lot of time and money into it. So we knew, we understood that we have to help them buy it. So this is the reason why we were so, we were kind of oversharing what's happening. uh, um, It's almost like uh, Stefan Sagmeister, the the, New York City designer who has a camera in his his, uh, design studio to show what he's doing. We were maybe not quite there, but we really wanted to show... Hey, we work on Mac computers. Hey, th- our office is pretty fucking cool. Sorry for the language. No, you know, like, we are you know, like, very nice, nice like people. We speak brain. English. We organize big events. Like it's safe to send us work. We're not going to fuck it up.
1: Yeah, and so I, I, we- I think that for anyone listening, like this idea of like consciously, like self-awareness, like yeah, a lot of entrepreneurs want to believe that their business is wonderful. And they actually don't want that critical feedback. And there was that sort of sense of conscious self-criticism, but then coming up with a solution. Like, okay, we're from Poland. People will probably think we're cheap, offshore labor. What can we do to, like, smash the stereotype? And I think that that's a very valuable business lesson for everyone. It's like, okay, what am I, like, I'm British, and, you know, British people have this reputation for being a bit arrogant, a bit imperialistic. So, you know, I very consciously refer to British history, because I know that, you know, for a Polish person who comes from a country that, basically been kicked around by foreigners for many hundreds of years. If I can somehow reference the fact that I'm aware that that's what the British used to do. And I work with Irish people, you know, I say that, like, you know, this is like a a conscious decision to address a subconscious objection, which actually leaves you way ahead because by showing yourself aware, you you get psychological credit. And and I think you've had some experiences like that with your negotiations in your, your previous job Representing the Americans in Iraq. Well, right? I, I think I think
0: what what I've seen um, there's this thing I call the elephant in the living room, which is, um, you know, w- when you're doing business with someone, there's something pretty obvious. And, and when I was in Iraq in 2007 and eight, it was obvious to everyone that America had messed up that, that whole country. And when I saw my commander actually acknowledge that in 2006 and get a great response from people, just made sense to me that you know. You know, when you I, I like to joke that I've made 10 times more mistakes than everyone and, you know, most people in life. But I've tried probably 100 more things than most people because that's the way I, I am. But you have to absolutely get out in front of those mistakes and those those issues that people have and those objections rather than trying to hide it or brush over. It. And I think that's what you're talking about. Ella did so well with Apple cake was, you know, Acknowledging the objections and, and getting out front, and I think that's really important. Yeah.
1: But, but, but what was the Ruby Lipson mistake, and like, what was the real mistake that you wouldn't yeah. do again? Oh
0: yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think just well, not showed it to your grandmother, right?
2: No, no I mean, I, I have like pretty like I, I don't, I, I don't care much. I think the real mistakes that I've made later later on as the CEO and like you know like just a whole like combinator experience and it, it was not a mistake but i actually as a whole like, but i made a lot of a lot more mistakes there and like miss the stage we're at and like misjudge how quickly we can do things because you started believing in like in your own kind of myth of like yeah i just do things great i'm going to do this and i'm going to do it in like four or five months because you know, I, I can scale um, businesses. So I think later on, like when you have your first experience of failure, it's, it's when you actually learn, like when in the moments where you got lucky and the moment you when you actually um, played something uh, well. and let, So, so the, that, that was a way more interesting experience. And I think from now, I'm able to talk about some of my mistakes with way more perspective.
1: I think that's a very powerful lesson. And that's the second yeah. thing to take away that success is not the best Tutor, (laughs) failure is, and I remember um, we had Tim Jackson, who founded the British equivalent of eBay, Mm -hmm. uh, QXL, which uh, you know, I think he made made around four hundred million pounds in his his exit, and he came to talk at a conference in Krakow, and he said that you know a lot of entrepreneurs put down like ninety percent of their success to their brilliant idea and execution, and ten percent to luck, and. And very often it's the other way around that you know the luck is incredibly important. Of course, you can make your own luck, but but I, I, I think that if things are going well, don't do what Ella obviously referred to, and I certainly did, which I think I have a talent for business. You know, maybe you were just in the right place at the right time, yeah, uh, yeah. and there was someone else who had the same idea five years ago, and they they yeah, failed yeah, completely. Yeah. Not because they were any less of a person; you just happened yeah, to yeah. be in the right place. At the I right mean, it's time. good
2: to acknowledge that you have some skills like that objectively you have but then where what those skills will lead to there's so many factors that are involved and like so many people that will get you there and also i think Absolutely. Everybody running a company knows that it's mostly about the other people and, who yeah. are like
1: the team and, and yeah. And, and I, I wrote a I wrote a blog post about this many many years ago called "Rip My Idea to Pieces." What What was the mistake I made when I was like 23, 24 or younger? Was I didn't want the negative feedback about my ideas. I mm. I, I I got this idea and I wanted people to praise me. And, and what I advise people now, and I wish someone had told me then, is this is my idea. Tell me what's wrong with it. I actually, it's actually much more valuable to get what's wrong with your idea because people start criticizing it. And instead of feeling offended, you can say, thank you. You know, I appreciate this negative feedback. Obviously you need to know what you're good at, but if they say, you know, you you want to be a fashion designer and you don't know how to make clothes, you have no taste in clothes and you don't have any fashionable friends, maybe Mm -hmm. that's a very reasonable objection to your idea of being a fashion designer.
0: And and that's really hard for entrepreneurs, Richard, because I think entrepreneurs, there's a certain amount of um, self-confidence and de- maybe, de- yeah, de- or de- delusions de- of self grandeur. I mean, there's a certain amount of arrogance you need to think that you're going to be one of the 10 businesses or, you know, 90, 90% of businesses fail. And when you are like that in your personality, people around you just automatically assume you don't want feedback. So not only do you have to be confident, but you have to invite actively that feedback. And, and I think, and I know my first business experience, Um, had a lot of success right off the bat, got arrogant and, and, and was, I I consider myself lucky now to have really not succeeded in that first business experience because that was very humbling for me. And, you know, one of the first big setbacks I've had in the army, fortunately, I could always get more money or more bullets or whatever I needed. And in business, there's a hard reality of economics that sometimes you don't run into, uh, in you, a government and organization,
1: in da, 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 da,
0: da. Well, <laughs> you, you certainly can't uh, in a legal sense, but um you know, so we we really, um, that was really good. And I think we're all sitting around the table here in Ella's story and Richard, yours that um, yeah, failure is definitely, and you know I don't want to over glamorize failure. You don't want to seek it out consciously like a martyr, but you do need to be open to it and the lessons that it provides.
1: Mm-hmm. We, could, could you like I, mean, I think we're moving towards the end of our allotted time is there any like failure that you'd like to share with the song that actually went like specifically went really badly wrong that you know i, I don't know um, like because it's also failure is defined in different terms of different people is there anything that you'd like to share this is a chance to like bay your soul and <laughs> <laughs> um, so so, diff- so d- there
2: are you know there's business failure which is um You can measure by the numbers although not fully because you never know the alternative um outcome but there is um there are some things that i wish i had done differently and you know maybe not all of them uh i I immediately think i I have to be sharing for 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 various reasons but (laughs) no but like so we're not going to get no (laughs) no no i I, no, but i I think there are more these are more subtle of Mm. like what what i would want what, what I think it's a wiser thing to do. They're n- not necessarily a, like business lessons. What I think business-wise, so our uh, experience in Y Combinator, which is the top, well, the world's top uh, startup school, startup accelerator in Silicon Valley and companies such as Dropbox and Airbnb um, and Reddit and a bunch of other, right now, a few billion dollar companies come um, from there, was that we were actually not very open to feedback uh, from the partners which were not excited about their idea but I think the biggest problem there was like we didn't really think long enough if this is what you wanted wanted to do so when you build your when you when you grow your company organically uh, for five or six years it's very um, everything happens in a certain way and there's time for things and then when you start um when you start something new and you put yourself in, in, in a startup accelerator which which is pretty intense um i think it's very easy to lose perspective and we just got there because we had we felt this hype of oh this is this great program we have to be there and right now i'm a very i'm I, i'm really glad that i'm part of this network but i think it came at a cost and and we i still had applicate which was which was over 30 people. I still had, and I just stepped down for some time as a CEO as I was doing the program, but I never really sold it uh, before. We had BASE, which was already 35 uh, people or 50 people in total. Right now it's 140 people. And I had the biggest European Rails conference coming up in a few months. And I was just organizing all those things all at once because I thought, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm great. I have people to do everything. And and then there is this limit that you hit um, and where you just cannot do everything. And you, I, I think some things um, you just cannot speed up. So uh, my good friend um, and, uh, and CEO slash executive coach, Jerry Colonna, who's also an investor in, in New York City. And he started his he was an ex-business partner of Fred Wilson, who's a very famous venture capitalist. He he was very skeptical of me going into an incubator accelerator setup, and he said, uh, Ella, this is a sprint, and you're a marathon runner. And I was like, no, 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 I'll just be fine. And then, you know, I I, I made a mistake. I should have known um, that I am a marathon runner, and three months of very quick acceleration where we were not sure in which direction we are going it's going to end up in some random place just by the laws of physics. If you're accelerating in an unknown direction, you're going to get very far somewhere, but maybe not where you want it to be. Uh, so that's, that's I think you just, you just have to ask yourself questions. Why am I doing it? um do I know where it's going
1: to lead me in one in one two years so. yes i I recently uh, i it's a book I read a long time ago but there's this concept of the six why's that if anything goes wrong you have to keep on asking why yeah and like and there's this famous famous TED talk about the about leadership with the power of the power of why and I think that if people don't have a sense of purpose mm-hmm. sooner or later it'll go off the rails and it isn't inspiring for a a young person to come and join a company where they say we want to make an eight percent profit on capital. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that doesn't that doesn't actually motivate people. If you know why you're doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. then you've got a chance. But if you're leading a company and you're not really sure why, it's just about you know being cool or or, or, or the why isn't good enough mm-hmm. for yourself in the long run. Then then that sort of you may suppress it, but that sense of frustration will will will, will grow, and, and and you you can't as a leader be an actor mm-hmm. you know if you if your heart's in a limit mm-hmm. people will sense
2: it. in all but getting back to six wise, just in any decision that you're going to make because you make so many decisions in a business life and very often you start doing too many things and I, like saying no and it probably will come from asking yourself why would i do that why what why is that interesting for me why what's the outcome that i'm trying to get i think it's probably good to ask yourself those questions because I always have a feeling that it's easy for me to say yes to things, but um, I think the most impressive entrepreneurs um, and business leaders, they're very, very set on their target and they don't let anything, A, take them off the target, B, distract them and see, you know... Set a, a different target that they would that they would pivot to.
1: So learn learn how to say no. Um, I, I and I, I I think also another lesson which I, I something you said reminded me of. I'm not sure exactly what it was. Is the the ability to confront difficult issues that quite often in big corporate environments mm-hmm. people avoid the challenge. But if it's your, and <laughs> you know, seriously, and, you know, they said they will park that issue. You know, you don't, you don't acknowledge there's a dispute. Kick that
0: place. over to the other department. Yeah. You, know? yeah, yeah.
1: you just like, let it, we we'll let it wash. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, if it's your own company and you're in charge, ultimately, you know, in your heart of hearts, that it's your responsibility. And if you don't confront that difficult HR issue, or, you know, that means HR, that means like that difficult person in your organization who's spreading bad bad culture or whatever if you don't take it on it's your fault it's not that guy's fault because you're the boss you know it's mm-hmm. like ultimately you and the other leaders if you don't take it on you're you you're responsible even for the stuff silence you know, silence is consent silence is consent exactly that's um Oh, that's a good concept. Well, we're, we're not only no, we running towards the end of our allotted time, but also I noticed the battery on my laptop is <laughs> running low. So, um, Sam, is there anything you'd like to say to wrap wrap this before we give Ella a chance to say any concluding remarks?
0: No, I, I think that uh, really just some powerful lessons to summarize was is is you know um, the ability to to not be afraid of failure and to learn from it, which is your most powerful uh, teacher. Uh, just seeing the journey of of the Krakow startup scene uh, being self-aware to know if entrepreneurship's for you. And then finally, and and this is the thing I really, uh, admire about what you're doing, Ellen, and, and think that everyone should take this lesson is, uh, socially, um, be socially aware of the impact that your business is having. And, and, and I like to say sales and marketing, which is my specialty is simply about taking someone. This isn't my original thing, but it's just distillation of what I've learned, taking someone from where they are to a better place. And, um, I mean, that's really the essence of business. If you solve someone's problem, people will give you money for that and they're not going to resent you for it unless you trick them. And then they find out you didn't really solve their problem. You made it worse. So, um, that's really the essence of business and, and Ella by, you know, encouraging that and what you're doing right now Mm -hmm. with your message to, to young, uh, aspiring entrepreneurs and some of the things I know that you'll get involved in. That's, that's a really great message. And, you know, life's too short to do a business that, you know, odds are it's going to fail and that you hate or that you are just doing it for the money because at the end of the day, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and and say that that was worth it. And I didn't waste uh, this precious time I have, I've been given, um, to live this life doing it. So I think that's, uh, awesome lessons. And Ella, any concluding remarks for the uh, audience here, which by, by now is we've, we've had a a really interesting, uh, run of it here with all these interviews and it's great to have you on here finally.
2: Um, no, I don't think so. Thanks for your patience with uh, our weather conditions were a bit chaotic, so we had to move around a bit. <laughs> so that was a bit distracting. We um, it come to a Hive th- 30 uh, 53. The high
1: 53. will in the show notes. And
0: it, you yeah. don't need to be in Krakow to come to Hive 53. Yeah. Just look at our website and fly in for it. That's mm-hmm. fine. So.
2: But yeah, but uh, there's one in Poznan, there's one in Warsaw, and if you want to start one anywhere in the world, uh, go to joinhive.com and. Or all materials are there, so um, you can start spreading. Um, you can start growing the startup community from wherever you are.
1: Yeah, I, I was just reflecting as as we were going through this that we normally you would really flag the fact that uh, Ella, along with her, her co-founders, are uh, Y Combinator alumni. We didn't even bother to say that in the in the interaction <laughs> where she was like, either was a slip or just showed that how self confident we are here. In, in, in Krakow. And the other thing is, like the fact that you know Ella's based in the United States now. She's back in Krakow. That anyone who's listening to this, this this broadcast, if you if either you're going to be in Krakow or you know someone who's going to be in Krakow, if you've got something to say, a message worth worth spreading to our audience, you know we will we will do what we can to to bring you into this community. Because thanks to digital technology, you know the idea is you're, you know, you could be in a tent in Alaska listening to this, you could be hearing crackle in the next room. You know, the, the internet gives us incredible global distribution of the ideas. So if you've got ideas worth shedding, we'll take <laughs> them, we'll take yeah. them. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> I had one glass of wine during this interview, and I finished my first beer. So, perhaps on, on that, uh, that that I'd say thank you very much for being with us for this episode, and uh, make sure you go to iTunes, you sign up, you subscribe, because um, there's a lot of great episodes you missed already, and there's even and leave and leave a review. And if, if you if you hated it, don't leave a review. Just email us. Email us. Yeah, yeah. If, if, you, if you hated it, email us or, put, or commit suicide. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right, there you go. Right.
0: Social yeah. social good. Um, <laughs> so good. No the number of SAP people in the world. No, if, 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 you, um, you know, if, you, if you enjoyed today's show, um, please please let everyone else know by leaving a review. If you have any great feedback on how to make it better, please send us an email. Go to our website, projectkajimaj.com. And thanks again for taking this time to invest in yourself and give yourself you know just a, a broader perspective, whether you're here from Krakow or, or never been here and, and just interested in what's going on in this part of the world. And uh, we'll see you for another episode shortly.
2: Thank you for showing your support for innovation in Europe. Tell other innovators about the entrepreneurial movement by leaving a review in iTunes. For detailed show notes and community updates, visit projectkazimierz.com.